I want you to open your Bible to Luke 22, verse 7 to 23. And uh, we're going to be reading this as kind of our <clears throat> the beginning text that we're going to launch from today as we are looking at why do we take communion. And we know that we take communion um, every so often, every few weeks. Um, there's bread and there's juice and we share around um, communion. Um, but have we often stopped enough to ask why? We know that we do do it. We know that how we do it. But do we know why we do it? And there's probably a few whys. Um, I'm only going to focus on one of them today. Um, again, this is an exercise in Dave showing restraint. <laughs> one thing. One thing. And so Luke chapter 22, verse 7 to 23. It's called the Passover with the disciples. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat. They said to him, where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters and tell the master of the house. The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room and where may I eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them and they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, he reclined at the table, and the apostles said to him, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you that I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit or of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. The one line there I want us to focus on this morning, do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you that even just in these incredibly short verses, we see the incredible grace of the gospel proclaimed, that the body and blood of Jesus was given that we would be saved and set free in his name. And Father, I pray as we reflect on that truth this morning, that we would be renewed, that we would be restored, that as we reflect on your goodness and your faithfulness and your presence among us, Father, we pray that we would remember all of the things that you have done for us. Father, the ways that you have moved and the ways that you have acted and the ways that you are still moving and still acting today. Father, may we be people of remembrance of a God who loves us so much in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've got a confession to make, and Elise knows this about me, and perhaps those who I have the pleasure of working with here at church probably know too. 
I have a terrible memory. I can never remember which bin colour it is. Does anyone else have the same? You kind of Wednesday night at our place is bin night and I know that, um, although sometimes I forget it and I walk out and I go, oh, far out, which one is it this week? Is it the green one or is it the yellow one? And I have to traipse down the street to the neighbours and check out what they've put out, hoping that they've got it right and if they haven't, then I'm stuffed and they're stuffed and anyway, remembering which colour bin. Sometimes I even hear the truck come in the wee hours of the morning out the front and I'll wake up and, and I can't remember if I actually put the bins out last night or not. Is anyone else with me? You've got a terrible memory. I, <clears throat> I often read a page of a book. I can get to the end of it, an entire page, and then stop and go, I don't remember one word of what I just read. You're laughing at me as this, I am the abnormal one. I think, I, I really think I am. I go and watch a movie, and I don't know if you've had this experience, and you watch a movie, and you come out of the movie, and everyone is having their debrief. Oh, remember when this happened, and that scene, and how they did this, and that, and how cool it was, and I can only remember how good the popcorn and the Coke was. I just, I cannot for the life of me, and don't get me started on the kids' names. Some parents, now, you, now I've got you on this one. We can just be, end up cycling through them. Poppy, Banjo, Rocky, Ronnie, they often just get called, what's me call it? Can you get me the thingy-me-jig? I just, you know, and I did it at the park the other day, rattling through, trying to, it was, I was with Ronnie, and I just couldn't get his name. I was, Rocky, and this other woman says to me, I said, I'm glad it's not just me. Um, <clears throat> See, most people have a memory, but I'm convinced I've got a forgettery. In fact, I pray for my memory quite often. Um, can you be praying for me? <laughs> I'm being really honest at the moment. Um, I feel like I've got a terrible memory and perhaps I'm not alone though. Perhaps I'm not the only one whose mind can be like a sieve and not just our minds but our hearts and our souls um, can leak the most important things. Where they slip from our memories, where the things that God has done in our past, the, things, the, the ways that he has led us and guided us, the words that he has spoken to us through people, the revelation that we've received through the word. For me, it's easy because I've got a forgettery to let go of those things and forget those things, and I need constant reminding. Perhaps you're in the same boat. You know, in this ridiculously fast-paced Life where you and I are pulled from pillar to post, where we bounce and uh, we bounce from moment to moment like a bouncy ball. This is the image I had in my head of my own life just this week. And I'm seeing a bouncy ball bounce around a room off the wall, off the floor, off the roof in this perpetual, never ending bouncy ball, off the walls kind of life. Now, our minds have forgotten to be at rest and for our hearts to yearn for the stillness and the wholeness that God desires that we would experience in him. You know, it's hard to remember when things are moving too quickly. You know, with all the flicking through feed after feed, and when our screens are bursting with series after series, we are being conditioned, we are having to adapt to having shorter and shorter attention spans. 
Videos are getting shorter. Even the ads on TV are getting quicker. Our senses are under attack. As volume goes up, as things get flashier, bigger, brighter, faster, all just to make you do it now. Click here, buy this, share that. This unhinged pace of life and the increasing demand on our minds and our bodies and our souls to keep up with it all is a palm to the face of the slow, connected and considered life that we've been set free to enjoy. It must be said that the pace of life and all of the stimuli that engorges us does us no favours in you and I remembering all that God has done, all that God is doing, and all that he has promised to do. And I don't think this is necessarily a new issue for for humanity. Times have changed. You know, throughout the Old Testament, they didn't have Instagram feeds to be addicted to or Facebook things to be in or or Netflix to distract them or the high-paced busyness of life and corporate world and all of this that just screams and yells and buzzes. Times have changed, yes. But it can be seen through Scripture that the proclivity for forgetting the miraculous acts of grace by the hand of God is not just a 2022 issue. It's written in Deuteronomy chapter 6, 4 to 12. And this is Moses at Mount Sinai and he's just read out the Ten Commandments and um, has taken the time to unpack the most important one. And he says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And all these words I've commanded you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob to give you, with great and good cities that you did not build, And houses full of good things that you did not fill. And cisterns that you did not dig. And vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full. Then take care, Moses says, lest you forget the Lord. Who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Moses here is saying to the people of Israel, never forget the grace of God who has saved you and set you free. And perhaps it's when we get the cart before the horse, when we begin to imagine that the life and the blessings and the inheritance and the salvation that we have is because of our efforts and our sacrifice or our hard work or our striving or our attempts at holiness. When we place ourselves in the center of God's, of our story, it's very easy for us to forget God's and to forget him. I mean, what incredible promise that we have as the family of God, of great cities. But we did not build them. God did. Houses full of good things that we thought we acquired, 
But no, God did. Storehouses of nourishment, be they water, material or immaterial things that God has dug for us. Fruitfulness that is from God, not us. And God says, eat of all of this. Eat of my grace and my abundance toward you. See, the thing is, though, I think that we, we eat of God's goodness and we get quite full, which is his intent. But I'm curious to know how I do this in my own life and maybe how you do it in yours is that we would sit back and we'd loosen off our belt buckles after such a, an enormous meal of God's grace and we'd rub our bellies and we would say, Ah, go me. Look at what I've built. You know, perhaps we look back at our lives and, you know, we think we are the masters of our domain. We think that we are the ones who have orchestrated the blessings that we walk in. As Moses was drawing his preach to a close, he was clear in his warning. And he confronts this posture of heart that not only fails to recognize God's grace, but leads to a perishing heart and life itself. And he says this two chapters later in Deuteronomy 8, 1 to 2, and then I'm going to read 11 to 19. Deuteronomy 8, the whole commandment that I have commanded you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord God swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way. Remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he continues in verse 11, take care. Again, he says, take care, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart will be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you, uh, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to, uh, to do you good in the end. Beware, again he says, beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand got me this wealth. Beware. Beware of placing ourselves in the seat of God. Beware of when we sit back and we eat and we are full that we aren't to recognize that this is of ourselves, but only of the grace of God. Moses says, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall perish. 
So the message of God's word to us today is exactly the same message that Moses gave in the shadows of Mount Sinai. Never forget the grace of God who saved you and set you free. Never forget the grace of God who saved you and set you free. Remember him. If you are a note taker or you want to remember this message in time to come, just remember him. Remember him. Isaiah 46, 9 says, Remember this and stand firm. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I love David in the Psalms as he looks back over God's work in his life and he says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. Psalm 143, 5, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. See, one of the ways that God's people would remember what God had done for them was that they would build a memorial out of stones. I mean, kind of like this milestone that I've built here a little while ago. And the first time we see this is in Joshua 3 at a place, uh, oh, sorry, in Genesis 28 in a place called Bethel. And Jacob had laid down to sleep and being without a pillow, he went and he grabbed a rock and he placed it on the ground and he laid down and as uh, he put his head on the rock and he drifted off to the land of Nod, God gave him an incredible vision a dream of a ladder reaching from the dirt of earth to the heights of heaven. And the Lord gave him an incredible vision uh, full of promises for the future of Israel. And he awoke and he said, how amazing is this place? He said, surely this is the house of God, the gate of heaven. And being so overwhelmed by God's presence and goodness, he took the rock that he had slept on and he formed it into a memorial. He set it up as a pillar and named it Bethel. See, placing this stone was an act of remembrance. He marked this moment of what God had done and said, I, surely God is with me. Surely God's promises are good and true. And he set up a memorial to remember the moment where God showed up. He set a stone to remember the moment where God showed up. His love. In Joshua 3, it records the moment that Israel crossed over the River Jordan into the promised land and they weren't in boats and they weren't on stand-up paddle boards. God played the I'm going to make the waters part trick again and he stopped the river upstream so the Israelites, all 12 tribes of them, could walk across from one side to the other. Uh, in Joshua 4, 1 to 8, he leads the 12 tribes and to remove boulders from the riverbed and that they would take those boulders and they would set them up in the promised land as a memorial in the promised land and it was called Gilgal and the 12 stones of the Jordan were a memorial to God's love and miraculous assistance. This memorial though is it's an act of remembrance that wasn't just for them. Joshua 4, 21, 22 explains that in the future, your children will ask, what do these stones mean? 
And you can tell them, this is where the Israelites crossed the water on dry ground. And God longs for us to proclaim his goodness to future generations, to remember what he has done, not just to keep you and I going, but to remind future generations that the God of miracles is the one in whom they can place their faith. A third time, in 1 Samuel 7, it retells the story of the Israelites that were under imminent attack from the Philistines. And God miraculously stepped in to provide them victory. And so Samuel goes and gets a stone and he, he sets it up in the middle of town at a place called, well, he called it Ebenezer, which the place then was called, meaning the stone of help. See, so Samuel, by placing this memorial stone, this place of remembrance, was recognising the source of their victory and publicly declaring it. See, by commemorating God's goodness and the victory in which he leads his people in a permanent way, it ensured that the Israelites would not forget God's grace. See, all of this stone placing, all of this creating of a memorial was all for one purpose. Do not forget the Lord your God. Do not forget the one who has saved you and who has set you free. Do not forget the one who is present with you. Do not forget the one who brings heaven and earth together. Do not forget the one who is for the generations. Do not forget the one who leads you into victory. Do not forget the one who has worked powerfully in your life over decades and decades and decades, even when you didn't know it. Do not forget the Lord. You know, each of these stories, the memorial stones, made sure that all glory went to God, who was working in leading them, in protecting them, in nourishing them, in revealing himself to them, in working powerfully and miraculously for them and giving them every victory and success. But we find ourselves back again in Luke chapter 22. And we have Jesus reclining at the table with his disciples sharing dinner and here we have in every sense Jesus building a memorial but not of rocks and stones not of rubble from a riverbed but a table a meal Communion is a memorial stone set amongst us that we would remember him, that we would not forget of how he has saved us and how he has set us free. Throughout Jesus' ministry, he is often found at a table breaking bread with people. The table is where he taught kingdom values and kingdom truths and kingdom ways of being. At the table, we can read of Jesus dining with enemies, Jesus breaking bread with uninvited guests. And at one point, Jesus literally turns a hillside into a table and he feeds 5,000 people. Jesus ate in homes. He ate with 
his accusers and his critics. He broke bread on the beach. I mean, there's a beautiful moment where Jesus broke bread with two of his disciples after he was resurrected as they were walking to Emmaus. And Jesus comes alongside them and they didn't recognize who he was until he went into a home and with them he broke bread and they went, aha, he is the one. It's said that Luke's gospel is written with eating and drinking as an organizing principle. That if you were to have a look through particularly Luke's gospel, that you would see eating and drinking thematically coming out as a defining and organizing principle in Jesus' life, which must say something to us. N.T. Wright says this, When Jesus himself wanted to explain to his disciples what his forthcoming death was all about, he didn't give them a theory, he gave them a meal. So the table was a place where Jesus welcomed and invited imperfect people. It's where he welcomed broken people. You know, the, the, the table that Jesus set for his disciples and the tables which he invited so many to were an invitation for confused people and vulnerable people. He invited lonely people. He invited sinners to his table. He invited aliens, strangers, people not known to him, people forgotten, people neglected, people pushed to the edges of society, and he welcomed them to his table. I mean, is there any other place that better communicates love and connection? I mean, to share a meal is to say, I see you. To have you at my dinner table is for me to say, you matter to me. To share a table is to recognise what unites us and not what divides us. To share a meal is to say, welcome home. I mean, is it any wonder that Jesus used a meal to establish a communal rhythm of remembrance? That he would create such an environment of love, an environment of welcome, an environment of connection, an environment of intimacy, where in all of our imperfection, in all of our lonely parts, in all of our broken bits, in all of the things that we know just aren't set right yet with him, that he would prepare a table for us and welcome us home. And today, in fact, every time we take communion, Jesus keeps on inviting us to the table of unity and togetherness to say, I see you, you matter, you're forgiven, and welcome home. And there is so much that we could talk about from this moment of Jesus establishing what we know now as the Lord's Supper or 
the, or communion or the Eucharist or the breaking of bread. I mean, the symbolism of the elements of the bread and the wine themselves, the location and the timing of Jesus doing this, all of these things are loaded with incredible nuance of what God had been doing throughout history to redeem his people. But I don't want to go there today. I want us to do what the church has done for the last 2,000 or so years and remember what God has done for us in giving his son Jesus that we may be saved and set free. I want us to gather at the table and to remember him. To, as Moses said, do not forget the Lord. To remember the victory that he has won for us. To remember the help that he gives us. To remember the freedom from slavery to sin that we have been set free from. To remember that God is present, that he is right here. To remember that his promises to us through his word are good and true. To remember the cost of love, that he would send his only son to surrender his life on our behalf that we could place our faith in the God of new life and resurrection and so partake in his new life and the resurrection to come. And so what we're going to do is we're going to listen to a song uh, from Brooke Liggettwood. used to be Brooke Fraser. Fraser? Fraser? And it's called Communion. And it goes for about six minutes. And here are some of the lyrics. This is Communion. Your body broken. The cup we're drinking is bittersweet. The gift of friendship, truest salvation, born of your suffering on Calvary. We remember the sacrifice of love. We remember the blood poured out for us. We remember the only Son of God upon the cross. From stained to spotless, from wrath to favour, through you, our Saviour, the work complete. In full repentance, led by your kindness, partake of presence as we receive. We remember the sacrifice of love. We remember the blood poured out for us. We remember the only Son of God upon the cross. We remember the price you had to pay. We remember the wounds that made a way. We remember the lamb for all was slain upon the cross. There's a moment in the song that says, take of the bread and receive the cup. It's about halfway through. At that point, I want us to break bread. It's on your table, break some bread off and eat bread. And um, I'll I'll grab two volunteers at that moment as well just to walk around and hand out a a little juice cup. And for that back half of that song, as we are led by uh, Brooke's song in here, take of the bread and receive the cup, I want you to have a moment where you reflect and remember God. Remember what Jesus has done. What has cost him to save you and to set you free. And then at the end, we'll just throw a bit of background music up and I want you to just, have, just, just share a moment with whoever's at your table and just give witness to the faithfulness of God. Perhaps there's been a story this week of God just entering your situation 
at the right time with the right words and has just blessed your socks off. Perhaps there's been a moment in the weeks gone by that have just been deeply impacting for you. And you just want to reflect on the goodness of God because this is an act of remembrance. This is where we build our stones and say God is here and God is at work and God will keep working. And so we haven't got stones, but we have tables as the Lord instituted for us to continue to remember him. And so if we can get that video on and uh, enjoy.